Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about buy now and pay later. <laughs> Not a particularly new concept uh, to uh, the United States or, or to commerce in general, but uh, in e-commerce, a trend that's become more and more prevalent. And I'm joined today by Callie, uh, who's with the Catapult team, and she's going to be sharing some insights into what's evolving and, and why and some of the intricacies and differentiators in that particular market. So with no further ado, Callie, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Hi, um, well, I'm Callie. I am the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Catapult. And I have been in e-commerce for over 15 years, love this space. Um, I got caught on or Infintech caught my interest long ago, and I had the opportunity to get in a catapult and it's been a wild ride ever since and I, I'm loving it. Um, catapult is a lease purchase option for e-commerce. Um, and we serve the subprime and no credit space and work closely with other prime buy now, pay later and happy to be here today. Awesome. And Callie, you and I know each other because you've had some some great history in the industry. So really glad to get to pick your brain and certainly leverage your experience today and having, you know, someone that's had different roles and uh, different facets. Uh, you know, you've had agency experience and merchant experience and uh, and different things. And so, you know, there are a lot of K's that are flying around here because Catapult is spelled with a K as is your first and last name. Yeah. Uh in terms of Catapult, do you know, is there a good story for how they came up upon that name? I always love to figure out how these tech companies <laughs> got to these very interesting brands. Yeah, absolutely. So Catapult wasn't always called Catapult. Um, Catapult was actually our new rebranded name back in early last year. And we wanted to switch the name from Zibby, our former name, to Catapult, because we're really trying to portray this um, catalyst for momentum, this unforeseen disruption. We wanted to usher change. Um, we wanted to break down barriers of for people to um, get pe get people to get the products that they need. Um, and we see Catapult as catapulting um, our merchants and our retailers to growth. Um, as well as helping catapult the um, the customer to be able to get the products that they need. So it's really supposed to be an inspiring name. It's supposed to you know be empowerment. Um, you know, putting the purchase power back in the hands of the consumer. Um, we have these bright colors, which are really fun um, too, which kind of catches people's eyes. So we're really just trying to revamp and and show the industry and just kind of like this different image. And I think it's really working. We've had a lot of really good response to all, all the changes, for sure. So far, so good for me. I have no complaints yeah. about the branding. I would tell you <laughs> if I did. because <laughs> Good, good. I'm, I'm glad. We've that, but, feedback. <laughs> uh, you know, thinking more about our, our topic for the day, the whole buy now, pay later space. I know that 
if I were to think about it, you know, there are some really older, um, older forms of buy now, pay later, like layaway. And certainly, you know, we've all seen the advertisements and many of us have taken advantage of them for like 0% interest for three years on furniture and, and different things. Is that by and large, what the buy now, pay later space is uh, in e-commerce? Is it sort of the uh, evolution of, of those sorts of more traditional brick and mortar offerings, just making it uh, to online stores with the prevalence of, of e-commerce as a way of shopping, as a channel to shop through? Yeah, I think that the buy now, pay later revolution um, has really come out of you know consumer wants and needs. Um, a lot of those traditional, more um, 60 days, zero interest, I don't think those are going away. I don't think those branded cards um, or even layaway is going away. But I do think that people are demanding something a little bit more flexible, um, You know, not as hard pull on your credit. A traditional bank will hard pull on your credit. Um, whereas some of these buy now, pay laters, the Affirm, the Klarna's, the Breads of the World don't. So they're just not as harsh. Um, and they offer a little bit more flexibility to the shopper. They're more tech savvy oftentimes. So they're on e-commerce sites, the checkout option, they're clean, they're quick. Um, they don't require a ton of information from the consumer. And I think that's why they've been adopted so widely and they're growing so quickly. Um, I think that the traditional banks will, you know, are starting to see that and they're starting to get on the train per se, as to making changes from a technical standpoint, um, getting more e-commerce savvy, pushing their merchants to do so. So I, I definitely think it, there's lots of disruption right now between banks, the buy now, pay laters. Um, and I, I just, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. I mean, we see, you know, Klarna and Affirm just growing like crazy. Um, and it's kind of exciting. And, and then we have some new emerging tech, like what Catapult does. You know, Catapult is serving this subprime no credit consumer, which is a newer space in e-commerce. It's untouched, really, as far as e-commerce is concerned. And, you know, we complement those primary offers. So, I mean, it, it's starting to really be able to cover every type of customer. And it's exciting. That's interesting. So if they have really good credit, they can just go through a firm and that's fine. But if not, maybe they... They get some kind of an, an opportunity to check out using Catapult for their buy now, mm -hmm. pay later because they won't qualify for a firm but or whichever provider, but they can uh, still have an option. Is that more or less the, the kind of workflow or maybe some merchants that just know based on their target audience that there's a lot of subprime mixed in? It's a little, it's a little bit of both. I mean, the regular workflow is, is you know, not everyone's going to qualify for for a prime. About forty seven percent of the United States population wouldn't qualify for a prime financing. Um, I think a firm, you know, in their case, you know, they can't qualify everybody because you know they're going after certain customer segment. Catapult is going after those customers that they're not approving, so it kind of fits in really well. And there are oftentimes, though, that there are merchants that just know the customer coming to their site, right? And they have just Catapult as their checkout option because they just know their consumer really well. Um, I think you have both side by side when potentially the merchant's trying to catch a new customer segment. So they're putting Catapult on there to catch, you know, maybe whatever a firm or Klarna or any other primary 
wouldn't be catching. So mm. we we can kind of bolt on to any of them. That's interesting. It, it, when we talk about prime and subprime, sometimes there's this negative connotation, of course, with being sub in some way. Uh, what type of consumers are we talking about? Are these people that maybe, you know, they're, they're, they wind up upside down with their mortgage and so you know, they got foreclosed or something and, and that destroyed their credit. Maybe people, I mean, we know, right, you know, in the last year or so, people that mm-hmm. uh, that had otherwise been pretty steady with things, but, uh, you know, places have been closing and opening and, uh, you know, certain sectors have been affected more than others. It, is it, um, you know, I imagine that some of these people, maybe they had a past incident that's dragged their credit down, but they have steady income that they're perfectly wonderful customers to want to be selling to as a merchant, thinking about it in, in slightly capitalistic <laughs> sense. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you said 40% or so of, of the U.S. market. That's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, most people, um, you know, same almost the same amount need some sort of, you know, they wouldn't know how to pay for an emergency, emergency expense of $400. They would need some sort of financing. I believe there was some Federal Reserve report back in 2019 that said that did a survey on what people would do if they had an emergency $400 purchase. And, you know, oftentimes they're stuck putting it on a, on a credit card or asking a family member. They simply can't pay it out of pocket. Um, and so for those subprime customers, you're, you're like, you're right. It, they could have had a bad mortgage. You could be perfectly fine. And you're in the middle of a mortgage and you don't want something to ding your, ding your credit. You just don't want it on your credit report. So it doesn't affect your mortgage going through. You could have moved in from another country and you don't have a credit score or credit background in the United States. Or maybe, you know, you're like, college student or young and you haven't student. built up that credit yet. Yeah, exactly. So there are lots of reasons for perfectly good people to need a no credit option um, or, you know, something just to get them by. And that's kind of what where catapult um, comes in. You know, we we try we've tried to create a product that serves those customers in a dignified way, giving them the power to make the purchase. Um, you know, we're e-commerce focused, so we're super slick in checkout. We don't ask for your bank account information or your you know the name of your firstborn or anything crazy like that, you know, it's the same thing you'd bring to a purchase on any other e-commerce site, your debit card. Hmm. And that's it. That's interesting. And, you know, so basically very, very much the opposite of the loan sharks or the payday loan stores or that sort of thing. But people that might otherwise, again, you know, not fit in with some of the traditional prime banking, you know, and, and credit opportunities, you know, you mentioned some of the other companies out there uh, that are in the space. A lot of them that primarily deal with, with prime users, so you know, Klarna, Firm, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's there's a, a good number of them now, and I think it's very interesting uh-huh. that Catapult has got um, some different market segmentation. But what are some of the the key differences between these players? Because I imagine that, uh, and from what I know historically, that uh, you know they're not all exactly mirror copies of each other um beyond the uh the obvious uh you know as we've talked about prime and subprime what are some of the other things that come into play as merchants decide that they're going to add this kind of technology to their checkout 
it's a lot like Baskin Robbins, right? 31 flavors. Cause you know, they're all a little different, but they're all ice cream. Um, so I think that some of the major differences between these different ones is kind of just slightly, just slight differences. I mean, there are some like Klarna that provide financing and pay in four, which is their two products. They have the Klarna financing and the pay in four. And then a firm offers their financing and then their installments, which they're doing obviously the shop pay installments. Um, they're powering that. And then you've got, you know, bread that's just doing straight financing. Um, a little bit more white label than say, you know, a firm or a Klarna, you know, the marketplace aspect. Um, and then you've got the afterpays, the sezzles, the splits of the world that are, you know, kind of targeting, you know, smaller split pay purchases. So like splitting up $200 into four payments, um, you know, bread, I'll bring up bread again, you know, they would be, they're a good one if you're making a really large purchase and you want to pay over time. Um, a firm also has 12, 18 and 36 month terms. Um, so they each have their own little nuances and features. A firm doesn't charge late fees. Um, Catapult doesn't charge late fees. Others do. So, you know, and others will have zero interest up to a point and then they charge a small percentage of interest. So it really could create this like really nice matrix. I think at some point, someone would probably create it. It'd be genius and just list all these small little nuances. And what I'd say to any merchant trying to decide which one's best for me, um, I think that you would want to look at first, what are they offering your customers? What are the different customer offers? And then what are they offering me as the merchant? You know, because these buy now pay leaders, these split payments, they all have different ways that they charge the merchant. Some are charging um, their merchant only because it's zero interest for the customer. They're not making money off the customer. They're making money off the merchant. So their cost may be a little bit higher, but mm -hmm. the customer experience is really great. And I think that I've it's seen that done places like, I don't know, you know, a medical office, dental office, where you want to get that cosmetic dentistry, they'll give you 0% interest. But the third party, the, you know, the banking financial group that's behind it, they're getting paid for that. They're not just handing out free money, uh, you know, that, uh, that the, biz the same thing that, that happens with the furniture stores and other things when they give you 0% interest. Typically, if there's a third party institution involved, you know, they're paying the interest for you. It's just, you know, instead of giving you maybe a discount on that piece of furniture, uh, they're going to pay a financial institution so that, uh, you know, a cut of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I guess I equate a lot of that to factoring, which is basically I have an invoice. I've got, you know, I've got sales, but I, I want the cash now <laughs> as a merchant, as a seller. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to wait for it. So I'll give a percentage of it to this financial institution and let them wait to get paid out on the money. Uh, I think we all saw commercials and things for years back when we all watched live TV where, you know, like JG Wentworth need cash now. Uh, so yeah. is that how a lot of that um, com comes about? It's, you know, if you're getting 0% through one of these systems, somebody's got to be paying for it. There's no such thing as a free launch. Yeah, exactly. So a customer is getting 0% interest and then that merchant's get, having to pay a cut of that to every on every single purchase to whatever buy now, pay later, um, lease purchase, that whatever they're using, they're, they're paying something for that. Um, and, you know, but, but it fluctuates because there are some 
where they're actually making the money on the customer and they can charge nothing to the merchant. So that, that it, it, it's, that's that another difference sense. between all these buy now, pay laters is um, it can change what they're charging the merchant based on what they can make on the customer side. And sometimes they're making a little bit from both. So they're maybe charging a really low interest rate, like a 2.99 on a longer loan or a longer installment. And they're charging the merchant a certain percentage of every purchase. And so it's coming, you know, it's, it, it's different, but I can definitely say that for ones that are charging zero interest splits, like um, Sezzle, others, they're probably charging the, the merchant completely for those purchases. Yeah. Um, so, there is no free lunch. Someone always pays. Yeah. It comes out yeah. of some pocket. Well, um, that's the nature of business. Um, I think from what I've seen, there's also, so there's some of them that are extending a line of credit. And mm-hmm. so it's really completely on them to collect the monies, uh, like, you know, almost like, you know, giving someone net terms or such that, that they're creating a new relationship. I, I see that a lot in B2B. Um, groups like uh, Approve and MSTS and, and what have you. But then, you know, and now you mentioned debit cards. I know some of the the more business to consumer, uh, you know, retail technologies, I want to say companies like Split It, they're actually just charging the credit card each month uh, or at, at whatever intervals for a period of time to, to collect the monies. So in, in your case, you're not really... Uh, at Catapult checking all, all that much, you're just going to debit the monies from their account at whatever set interval. Yeah. So at Catapult, the customer chooses when they want to make their payments based on their pay schedule. So we're trying to make it fit because, um, you know, our, our typical consumer, that's what is best for them is to arrange payments around the time that they're getting their paycheck or getting paid. And so they can kind of select that. And, you know, just like in with some e-commerce stores, we're not charging them anything until their items delivered because who wants to pay for something they don't have? Hmm. Right? That's nice. So, so that's that's all triggered based on when when they receive their goods. Um, and I know a lot of e-commerce stores do it differently: the authorize and capture, or just authorize until shipment. You know, and but we really do the authorize, then deliver, then capture. Well, a lot of large goods need a little bit more time. Some of them are custom. Yeah are customized to some extent, you know, so a lot of the, the bigger ticket items, I think that certainly makes sense that they're not all shipped same day. Uh, you know, with, with that in mind, you know, thinking about some of the, the nuance, what are some of the good products that are, are typically a fit for this sort of thing? I know, you know, I, I think of furniture a lot, of course. Um, is it, you know, just in general, high ticket items like electronics and jewelry and, and things of that nature, or are there particular categories that you're sometimes surprised by that seem to to fit really well with this? Yeah, I think, you know, for any, I'll just kind of go broad and then I'll talk a little bit more about us specifically, but I think for any type of buy now, pay later, um, pay in for, I mean, you're, you're looking for um, a basically something that you'd actually want to split and pay in for. You might not want to do a split pay for something that's $25, right? But, you know, typically things that are over $100 and where there's more flexibility with the buy now, pay later, they can pretty much touch any category. They're not really restricted. Um, they they don't need, you know, they can finance whatever they want. Um, but, you know, with, in Catapult, um, we do see very particular items. Medical devices is one that people don't often associate. 
um, optical. So when you're buying prescription glasses and, you know, those can be pricey. Um, and then some of the more obvious are the furniture, electronics, electric bikes, hmm. um, motor scooters. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like to think of it as anything that you can return because part of, you know, the interesting and differentiator with catapults is if you ever want to stop paying, you just return it and you're, you donate it. So, and you can essentially stop paying for your item if you want to, if you return it. Huh. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. What happens if they don't, um, I don't know if we want to tell the world this, but we're talking to merchants here. If the, the shopper gets the item, stops paying, uh, does some of that fall back on the merchant or, you know, because you haven't done a credit check, uh, you know, that you haven't issued them that kind of a line of credit that's going to hit uh, that consumer's uh, credit history. Um, and we're probably talking about, on average, I imagine, a, an item that costs hundreds of dollars on occasion, maybe into the thousands, but uh, probably not going to send the repo people out for, for that $300 no. item. Um, so no. what does that look like in, in the industry? I imagine that, you know, most people, uh, whether we want to think of it or, or whether we all picture it or not, pay their their bills eventually that, you know, that that's the nature of the universe. But how does it actually pan out? So while we don't check credit, we do check things. We do have a proprietary algorithm that allows us to make a pretty good assumption of the worthiness of a customer. And we've been really lucky that our algorithm has done a really good job of picking out good customers. So we really don't see a very large percentage of those um, customers that just stop paying. Um, it's pretty relatively small percentage. Um, it's the same way that I think merchants deal with chargebacks. Yeah. That it's a it's a low it's usually a, a low percentage of people that are out there to, uh, to interact in that kind of a way. So yeah, it's it's a it's it becomes a write off, but but we don't put that on the merchant if they just get the item and then just stop paying. That's mm -hmm. because essentially way, the way catapult works is we're it's a wholesale transaction between us and the merchant. We're purchasing the item from the merchant and leasing it back to the customer. So once we make that purchase transaction, once that lease purchase agreement's done, the interactions changes us and the customer. We've, you know, the customer receives the goods, we fund the merchant and it, the, then every interaction's between us and the customer. So the merchant's kind of out of it at that point, hmm. unless there's a return or something, but um, we follow the, the merchant's return policy to the, to the T based on whatever that is. So it really takes the merchant risk out of it. That's interesting. I, I've seen others that do that for years in the international shipping space where they'll take over the checkout so that they can offer different international carriers and different currencies and other intricacies of you know different payment cards and things to service those unique users. So let's say a, an American website can have a much easier time selling into other regions of the world. Um, so I imagine to some extent, it's like that, that you're taking over um, the transaction. Uh, I, so it's actually your team when it's catapult, uh, that, um, you going through, uh, the checkout and the, the shopper is using a debit card. It's going through your payment processing. 
Um, yep, exactly. So we're we're actually paying those fees that the merchant would normally pay the processor to chart to run the credit cards or debit cards. Since it's through our experience, we're taking on that charge because we're taking on that experience. And in that respect, too, customers are tax exempt. The merchants are tax exempt um, from the purchase because we're paying the taxes. That makes sense. Uh, are there any kind of maximums that kind of fall in? I, you know, so if somebody wants to buy some fancy car online, there's probably a breaking point um, that. Uh, yeah, we don't do cars. We don't do cars. Um, for catapult in particular, it's a $3,500 max. Um, but I mean, that's our, t- our typical approval is, is probably, you know, in, in the $1,700 range. So that gives lots of, you know, wiggle room above, and that's kind of where we, where we fell. But, um, you know, other buy now pay leaders have, you know, much larger limits because they can collect more credit information. So, um, and we're trying to cater to a different consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want, we want to make sure that they, whatever terms that the, the customer can afford the terms, you know? So that that's sense. trying to build a product for them. And how big does a merchant need to be for something like this to make sense? I imagine that if they're just starting their first website and, you know, they're, they're planning it out and they don't really even have any traffic or sales yet, maybe it's a little early or maybe it's not depending on, on who they're targeting. Do you have a feeling around that or when it makes sense to have this conversation about, should we add this as an option, you know, once they've reached a certain monthly or annual revenue, or, or is this just something that's becoming a little bit of a standard based upon what you're selling and who your audience is? So this is an interesting question because I think, I think it has a lot of different points. So I think that as far as merchant size and annual revenue, you probably want to be somewhat established, you know, at least a million dollars or more. Um, you're getting some good traction. Do you have the right type of products? What is your SKU count? Um, I think it, it changes depending on the industry. Um, but I think for anyone who's considering a buy now, pay later option, like the other ones we talked about or catapult or whatever your, um, your purchase solution ends up being, you need to really find out, you know, once you're getting established, one key thing that in my opinion is a great indicator is, am I seeing a lot of abandoned carts around large tickets? So am I seeing my larger ticket carts? abandoning more, you know, so that would be a time to bring in one of these options because that's what it hedges against is, you know, losing out on those customers, you know, it helps with the conversion rate and average order value. Um, You can increase those cards even more and get more checkouts. So I think it's more or less like, what are you seeing your customer behavior? How is it changing? Um, what, what are, you know, what are your customers experiencing? And one thing I would always suggest is ask your customers, is this something that they're asking for? Is it surveys? Like, you know, ask them, you know, you didn't make this purchase, you know, how can we help you make this purchase? Do you, would you prefer to have a financing? Would you, what do you need? Um, and I think that you'll get glean a lot of insights just from your merch, your customers, um, as to when you need to implement something like this for them. Look at your data. Talk to your customers. Yeah, I mean, look, personally, I, I always like the idea of offer them. Hey, do you want you know ten percent off, or do you want free financing, or what, yeah. whatever is going to make the sale happen here? I, I think you know, car dealers and others are used to these kinds of things. You know, it's like you know, do you want a lower APR? Or do you want you know some cash back at at the close? Like, you're not going to get it all, but uh, what's it going to take to seal the deal? 
And there are different customers out there that, that do in, indeed have different needs. Um, and you mentioned no late fees. And that's, that's sitting on me because I understand that your team in particular, based upon how Catapult is structured, that you're prepared for a certain amount of write-off and you make good decisions using your proprietary algorithms and things. But what does happen in those situations? So we said, no, <laughs> nothing's being repossessed. Um, nothing's hitting their their credit. Do they just keep getting notices reminding them that they have an outstanding bill? Um, you know, what's the customer experience? Because obviously that's going to impact the brand long term, you know, depending on what, how the customer feels about what they went through, including if they were having a bad time. And, you know, nobody really wants to uh, be hounded in a in a negative way. You know, I, I think we all respect getting reminded when we owe something. But yeah. Uh, what does that look like? So we turned off late fees when COVID hit because, you know, obviously we wanted to understand the customer and these are tough times. Um, we created programs to help our merchants defer payments if they needed to, um, our, our customers rather defer payments if they needed to, to, to make sure like we were providing the best amount of support we possibly could. And what we found was, is that, late fees were really an issue even during COVID. So we were like, leave them off. You know, we don't need to have that burden on our, on our customers. If they have a rough time, like mistakes happen, you know, things happen to people. And I think that's what we're really trying to to build as a culture at Catapult. And what we're trying to build for our customers is the best possible experience. We're we're very customer centric and as far as reminders and how often we're, we're pressing customers, we really want to resolve. And I think, you know, we're not going to count people for years. There's a cutoff. Yeah. All right. At some point, Write it's it bad debt. It gets written yeah. off. Yeah. It's, it's not, it, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't no one any good anymore. Um, and I think as far as, you know, 40, uh, roughly 45% of our customers come back and make another purchase with us. That's a pretty big statistic. It's almost wow. half who enjoy our service, appreciate what we're willing to offer, have had a good, um, have had a good experience with our team. Uh, we have 24-7 chat support. And so they come back and do it again. And I think that's um, a big thing to say about what we do and what we offer. And um, we have over 10,000 Trustpilot reviews and we're 4.4 stars. So people are happy and they, and they need, and it just shows that there's a need yeah. for, for something like this. Um, and and it's, it's not a, it's not a new need, although I imagine in the last year, you, you mentioned how you team is waived fees that demand has increased because there are more people in more flux. Uh, you know, the, those that are experiencing it, know it and feel it. Those that, uh, are blessed to feel it less might not always realize it as much, but, you know, at the same time, I remember when bill me later was acquired, by PayPal, and that's going back a ways. Uh, and so extending some form of credit in the checkout, it's certainly not something that, that's terribly new. Uh, I think it, it sounds like, though, that it's it's going to a, a healthier long-term model where people want to keep using it, uh, where it's not as much of a trial thing. It's it's more of a, of a conscientious choice. Yeah, it's definitely a conscientious choice. There's a demand for it. Um, I think and that's only increased. If you look at the user base of, say, a corner of a, or a firm over the past couple of years, it's 
just exploded. I think Klarna said 15 million customers now. That's an incredible amount of people in the U.S. using Klarna. And there's a reason for it. And, you know, we're seeing the same boom in our industry, you know, the number of customers, you know, growing largely, I think. Um, And especially because e-commerce is growing. And so the same payment options that were only available in store, they have to be available online. And that has just allowed this environment of growth and innovation in the buy now, pay later space and our space and others. Yeah. I distinctly remember going into a mall store and they offered me some great terms or something, you know, they were going to give me, it was a big purchase. They were going to give me, I want to say 10% off or 15 or 20 or whatever it was that day off of everything. And it was a store that I knew I'd go back to. And so, okay, so give me the store credit card and let's, let's do that. And next thing you know, they have to, okay, give us one of your other credit cards. We have to swipe that. And that's going to be part of the credit decision and how much credit you're, you're given. And then I'm standing there and then they have to actually get on the phone with someone to verify something. And, you know, here I am, like I was, you know, I was ready. I was done. And, you know, it's the, it was a whole big process. And I mean, how nice it is to be able to use some of this technology. I know that, you know, a lot of the times that people think of credit, uh, you know, as something more of a, you know, a need, but sometimes I, I think it's, uh, we forget that it's a benefit, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's nice to be able to have more cash on hand sometimes and spread things out and, and to have flexibility, you know, and speaking of, you know, some of these, these revelations, I saw an article recently, Capital One, uh, specifically, and I know your team really deals with, with debit cards and such. So probably not something that's, that's as high on your radar, but, uh, they got into a, a little bit of a. Uh, a thing I I'll call it. I think that's the technical term uh, with the buy now pay later space because they realized that some of these players in buy now pay later were the way I'm going to look at it. We're eating into their margins. Um, did you follow any of that? And you know, do you have any any thoughts around it? Yeah. So if you think about a traditional credit card, the way that they're making money is charging interest sometimes twenty four to thirty percent. They're charged. They're you know getting money from people carrying balances. That's and being able to charge that said interest. That's how they make their money. And I think what they saw was these, these split pays coming in and they were losing that margin. And so they wanted to cut it out. I don't know if you saw, but you know, a firm just, I just saw the news today. A firm came out with a debit card where you essentially, the way it looks like is you can select a purchase and choose to split it in real time. I mean, so you can make your regular purchases, but then you make one. You're like, oh, I would rather split that. You go in your account and you split it up. Like it, it, the innovation um, in this industry is just blowing my mind. And I think these, you know, traditional credit cards are scratching their heads, like, oh no, we're gonna have to figure something out. And I think in Capital One's case, they made this decision because they just wanted to cut it off. But I don't know if it was necessarily a, a good or or a bad thing. Um, to make that decision, you know, I, there are a lot of traditional business lenders out there, and you know, a lot of the modern stacks that came up, the Ondex and the, these companies that basically they would debit from from your checkbook one way or the other. Uh, in some cases, on a, every business day, they were debiting, uh, and still are, as far as I know. In some cases, uh, you know, modern loan sharks. 
uh, high interest rates for people that you know couldn't get a more traditional you know SBA loan or, or other things. Uh, then you get in the e-commerce industry, you get the payabilities and Brex and these different companies mm-hmm. that come out and say, no, we've got other ways of lending because we can tap in into your existing uh, forecasting and we can see what your cash flow looks like and we can work with you at, at lower rates and more favorably because we're going to look at you as a real business. And uh, I'm not saying that... that uh, that there's not a negative, um, you know, that everyone should just go out and grab every, uh, you know, every piece of capital that they can, every piece of credit that they can. But I, I think that a lot of the the specific players in the e-commerce market that I get to spend time with and I get to track and, and follow uh, are certainly doing things in a way that feels more responsible, that feels more consumer centric and merchant centric and uh, you know a little bit less like the the traditional <laughs> you know uh finance up in the boardroom at the 100th floor kind of a yep. a way of looking at it and I, I think that sometimes that's not always what comes through cuz you know we just see finance but uh I, I would imagine yeah that for capital one that's charging 20 or 30% interest to these folks when they uh, I, I'm very a spokesperson had said these kinds of transactions can be risky for customers and the banks that serve them. Um, while there might be some truth there, I don't know what's riskier paying, you know, uh, paying the the high interest rate to the credit card company and ruining your credit and doing all those things or, uh, or dealing with some other methodology, um, splitting things up. I do know that in some cases splits are happening where, um, you know, there's there's basically a lock-in where the credit card is going to be charged over and over again over a period of months and things. And so I imagine, uh, you know, again, they're, they're just losing out on some of the interest. Uh, and maybe the, the consu- maybe the consumer is still using the credit card a little too often or, or such. Uh, and at that point, there's more of a, a credit crunch. But, mm-hmm. you know, all the metrics that I seem to see around this industry from the buy now, pay later folks... Uh, are that in in speaking of them as loans that they're healthy loans? Well, yeah. So if you think about it, when when you make a purchase on a credit card, you could carry a balance, be paying interest on that, and you could be it could take you years to pay it off, paying the minimum payment, right? When you're with a buy now pay later, and you're getting these you know terms, there's a time period. This is what you're paying over this period of time, you know, and and so it's a little bit more predictable. It's a little bit more scaled a little bit more transparent. I'd say definitely transparency plays a big part in this because there's a lot of gray in in credit cards, right? You know, and how they charge daily APRs and everything. You know, so when you look at it, it's just the transparency, the ease, it's easy for it to check out with these. Um, It's a lot easier than applying for a credit card. Um, They don't have And sometimes you'll have a much higher, you know, a much higher credit limit with the credit card, or you can get in a lot more trouble sometimes with the credit cards yeah, in different ways. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why I guess, you know, credit is a, a multifaceted uh, thing. It's, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's not as simple as, uh, as all of us that walk around with some form of credit card in our pocket and just swipe or, you know, you know chips and what have you and, uh, uh, and contactless. But yeah. uh, isn't that, Interesting how 
you know, companies like Capital One are going to try to hold on. I have not. That was now going back certainly several weeks at least. I haven't yeah. seen any of the other uh, major issuers or banks jump on. I've I've been watching, <laughs> maybe not as closely as I should, but uh, I'm hoping that in essence that that uh, the industry keeps moving in the way that it is because I think the modernization. It's good for the consumer from what I've seen so far. And I hope I'm right about that. But. It's a healthy competition. It's healthy competition with, with any you know free market. It, it's healthy competition. It's giving the consumer choices. You know They aren't stuck with just going with that 0% for the first six months deferred interest offer to buy their sofa. They have a couple of different options and they as the consumer can choose what's best for them. And I will say that there's, there's a caveat, you know, like, Anybody can get into debt issues if they're not financially responsible. But for the average, you know, financially responsible person, the choice is much better for them. And it's good for the merchants, too, because, you know, they're able to give their customers choices and they can continue to grow their business. Um, You know, so I I think that there is just benefits all the way around. And and these different services... um, I I just love the competition innovation. I can't get over it. You know, all, all the new things coming out. And I think... Capital One aside, these larger banks are seeing that they have to get on board. They're like, okay, this is serious. This isn't just some fringe. We we have to start innovating. Otherwise, they're going to overtake us. Um, I so won't I, be I surprised to see too. some great acquisitions in the next few years because that's, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if finance <laughs> is in a position to do something, it's acquire. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of these big banks acquiring, uh, potentially acquiring some of these buy now, pay laters and, you know, kind of introducing their tech into something a little bit more legacy, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to start moving forward as a quicker way to move forward technologically. Yeah, that's often how it happens in the industry. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about the industry and, and a lot of the mechanics for a merchant that's trying to deploy something like this, let's say they've got a Magento website, they want to add uh, something like Catapult. How difficult, by and large, is it? I know that sometimes with checkout, you have to worry about you know conflicts with other integrations and things. But um, is it basically just a, an extension or, uh, or or some kind of a one-off setup uh, to anticipate? So I can, so to Catapult in particular, I can say that we have our extension in the Magento marketplace, um, Magento 2 certified. Um, We have free integration support. So we often work directly with the merchants or merchants developers, and we can get people live with Catapult in a week. It's pretty simple um, integration. Magento, of course, is a very flexible platform. So it doesn't, we don't often see a lot of um, conflicts. And with our software and, and other extensions, I mean, obviously, there's always the one-offs, Magento. Yeah, but but basically, <laughs> but, you're going but, in there like any other payment processor at that point. So it's a, you know... Pretty straightforward yeah. in, integration. It's, you know, um, like I said, you know, in a typical situation a week, we could be okay. live and check out. That's great. And, uh, you know, before we wrap it up for today... Anything new coming down the pike? You know, we're in a new year, well into it already, into 2021. Uh, any prognostication or <laughs> things that you're you're watching for? Uh, anything cool happening at Catapult? Yeah, no, I 
I just, I think we're going to start continue to see, um, I think it'll be interesting to watch out for acquisitions, um, you know, or, you know, companies merging together. I mean, we saw a firm acquire Paybright to move into Canada. Um, we, we've seen some bigger banks, you know, go after the buy now, pay laters. I'll be definitely on the lookout for that to see how that emerges. Um, I think for Catapult, you know, we're just constantly trying to um, enhance our product and make it smoother and easier to check out. So be on the lookout for some for some new features as um, far as like customer experience and, and ease of use will be coming down the pipe. Um, and we're just going to be continuing to, um, you know, grow, evolve and educate merchants. I think education is going to be big in 2021 as these become more popular. Merchants are really going to have to, you know, look critically at what they need, what their customers are asking for. Um, so I think it's going to be a big year for everyone kind of continuing to learn what these different options do, how they work, and keeping open-minded. I think, you know, Catapult's fairly, um, since we rebranded, we're not new in this space, but I think um, as more and more customers start to become aware of us, they're going to start seeing a need. So we anticipate a lot more people kind of starting to get it. You know, well, and you, you know how these things go. Their competitors start offering something, and now if they want to compete in the space, exactly. they've got to as well, or they're going to see, you know, <laughs> uh, they're going to see their checkout rates go down. That it, it's going to hurt the conversions. So, uh, absolutely, nothing is static in e-commerce. It, it's always evolving. Um, Callie, this has been an absolute pleasure. So I hope we get to do it again sometime soon. You know, but we're here to educate merchants, like you say, that, you know, we yep. know that that's important. And especially with uh, fewer traditional trade shows, to put it mildly, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like differences <laughs> that, yeah, we're all, you know, trying to be there for uh, for these businesses and figure out how to get them the information that's going to help them to, to grow and thrive. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My it pleasure. Was a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure to subscribe wherever it is that you're consuming this wonderful media. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more great content like this soon. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.